0: Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle-enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself Podcast podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of PlantYourself.com, The Big Change Program, and Well Start Health. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a real and resolute life. Today's guest, Bethany Steck-Janicek, has an amazing transformation story. She grew up on a Nebraska pig farm on a diet of meat and dairy and cheese and butter, and she was always bigger than her peers. And that caused a lot of anguish. She began dieting when she was still in elementary school and always failed, always giving up, always feeling disappointed in herself, then trying the next diet and the next and the next. And of course, nothing was sustainable, nothing was real, and nothing was getting at the root of her problem, which was that she was deeply disconnected from her true true self. And she masked this sense of inadequacy with both a bubbly exterior and various coping mechanisms, you know, the usual subjects, food, cigarettes, alcohol, clothing, makeup. As she says, everything in her life was literally or figuratively sugar-coated. And during her childhood and young adulthood, she navigated a series of health conditions that of course she had no idea were related to diet, like stabbing stomach pains so severe they led to gallbladder removal, didn't help. Asthma, allergies, multiple bouts of bronchitis every year, and a week-long stint in a mental hospital following a suicidal episode. Then one day in her 23rd year, Bethany, as she puts it, stopped lying to herself. She started taking responsibility for her choices and her actions, started cleaning up her life. And at first, she was still working with suboptimal tools like South Beach Diet, Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, and so on. And eventually... She discovered The Missing Piece on a PBS show featuring Joel Fuhrman. And amazed and angered that no one had ever shared this information with her before, she dove into the nutritarian, whole food, plant-based lifestyle. And for the first time, she experienced profoundly positive changes in her body and mind. Bethany is now Mrs. Lovechard, a plant-based health coach and founder of Nutribabe Nation. And as you'll hear, I got a double treat because this conversation is the second one. The first one was unfortunately completely erased by a power failure. And I have since uh, instituted more backups that can withstand, hopefully, an event like that in the future. But in any case, um, I got the benefit of, of two hours with Bethany. And not only is she delightful, she's also a really good coach. The way she describes her own process and the advice she gives when I um, inquire about what other people who are in her situation should do tells me that she really has the gift of being able to take people where they are, connect with their hearts, and move them forward. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation. Before we get to it, a couple of items of business. First one is we're starting a new cohort of the Big Change Program on May 14th. And as you may know by now, it has been uh, merged with WellStart Health, so we'll be working on the WellStart platform. At the moment, we're using the WellStart Health name publicly, but you guys know that it's really the uh, Intel Inside is the big change program. And it's a 12-week program with an additional nine-month follow-up, so it's actually you know, pretty much a year program is what we recommend. Who wants to have to rush through 12 weeks when... Uh, you know, lifestyle change and changing our habits and changing the way we think about things should be a careful, deliberative process that doesn't necessarily have to comply with a particular calendar date. If you'd like to know more about the Big Change Program, go to BigChangeProgram.com and read all about it. But you can't sign up there. To do that, to apply, you have to go to WellStartHealth.com/apply fill out that form. It does not uh, commit you to anything. It doesn't commit us to anything. It's just checking whether you're going to be a good fit. And if you are, we'll deal with all the details and payment and administrative stuff from there. Second thing, a big thank you to Cecilia Regiero. I think I'm pronouncing that right. She will correct me if I'm not. Um, Cecilia has offered to translate a whole bunch of Plant Yourself content into Spanish And so far, we've got four different reports up. We've got the Cheat Day Blues, El Dia Libre. We've got the Break Glass Report, Romper El Vidrio. And we've got Vence al Bully, Beat the Bully, and Boomeritis BS. So all four of those are available. More will be coming. So if you would prefer to read these in Spanish, or if you know someone who would like to see them in Spanish, all I have to do is go to plantyourself.com, and at the very top of the page, there's an articles link and if you hover over the articles, then you can see the page for those Spanish translations. All right, that's all I got for now. I'll see you on the other side of this interview. But for now, without further ado, Bethany Steck Janicek, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Howard.
0: It's so funny because we recorded this whole thing about a month ago and yep. it did not record. So I just I just want to put that out there. Normally I don't share like little technological glitches with listeners because it doesn't matter but i I feel like there's there's a way in which we're gonna have to try to be fresh and new even though we've kind of already done this so yeah. uh, so let's let's start with your your story and I'm looking at the notes I took last time and the phrase I have here is a big murky bowl of before
1: <laughs> yeah that's um. That's a really good way to describe it. That's that's really what it was. Um, my before, just really briefly, I grew up on a farm in Nebraska. We always grew up eating meat, potatoes, uh, milk, butter, eggs. You know, all the all the farm traditional Midwest stuff. And I was always overweight as well from a very young age. I remember being kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and just really noticing that I was physically very large, much larger than my friends and classmates. And very quickly, the emotional eating and the binge eating started as a very young age um, with candy and cookies and stealing, you know, um, uh, desserts and stuff at holiday events. And I just remember just never getting enough of junk food and refined stuff and all this. And this led to um, binging and purging in high school and, you know, not eating and a ton of – Spiral emotional eating everywhere. I mean, any kind of emotional eating, I was uh, I partaked in some some bit of it, and it was just a roller coaster. It was such a roller coaster of food, and then when I got into college, it was alcohol and cigarettes and like all this stuff, and it just was a lot of fake stuff. It was a lot of chaos. It was a lot of fake, um, you know, masked stuff for. I was masking emotions for, um, you know, no confidence. I was, um, you know, making things bigger and brighter because I didn't feel that way truly deep down. And so, yeah, it was a lot of murky, murky glob. is a really good way to put it. Yeah.
0: So do, do you think you were successful in masking? Do you think that, uh, you were, you were fooling people or fooling people who didn't know you or family um, or, or close friends?
1: Yeah, I would say, I I guess it depends what you mean by successful in it. But yeah, I guess it's successful and fooling. Um, I was always, you know, happy-go-lucky, very social, outgoing, extrovert. Um, And I still am. That that wasn't fake. But it was like sugar-coated version. It was a sugar-coated version of really me. And even if I didn't feel my best, I made it so that I was fine you know, because I didn't want to draw outside attention to me. I was giving myself enough harshness and enough, you know, a hard time and stuff like that, that I didn't want other people to do that same thing. So I think it was a lot of like masking and walls up and blocking, um, anyone else from seeing what I was really feeling because it was so painful for me that I didn't want to bring anyone else into it. So I guess, yeah, I was successful at masking it in that way. Um, but it just ended up, you know, at one point, um, ended up being too much for me to handle um, in in so many different ways.
0: Mm. When, I, when I listen to you now, um, you know, ha- having had a month to sort of think about it, it kind of reminds me of our our culture's relationship with with people in the media mm-hmm. where, you know, like you weren't it was a mask, but it was still sort of you. It wasn't some right. foreign foreign creature. It was you, but filtered and, and, and made up and and like so many people, you know, who have to maintain, it's like you were, it's like you were on some sort of reality show 24 seven trying Mm -hmm. to present the best version of yourself.
1: Yeah, it really was. You know, I talk about this a lot. I wore a lot of, um, a ton of makeup, a ton of jewelry, A ton of my hair done up a ton of accessories and scarves and you know big jewelry and stuff and not that there's anything wrong with that but the reason that I was doing it was to draw attention towards those things and away from what was deep down inside um so again nothing wrong with makeup or or scarves or anything like that but it, it was why I was doing it and how I was doing it up um and what I was covering up that was you know the problem um or or alarming um You know, and then from from scarves and and makeup and all that, it turns to, you know, cigarettes and then it turned to alcohol and then it turned to a really bad alcohol problem um, and then it turned to depression and anxiety. So I had all of these um, all of these different types of masks at different times of my life um, in my journey, you know, until I made that decision to make a, a lifestyle change. Um, the masks came in so many different forms, and I think that's really important to talk about because not everyone has that same. The, the mask doesn't look the same to everybody, um, and you know that to say you just never know what someone else is going through or feeling too. You know what on the outside isn't necessarily what's um, what's coming, what's what they're feeling on the inside. Yeah.
0: How conscious were you at that point of what of what your strategy was? Did you know that you were? you were hiding and masking and what did you, did you think you were hiding and masking weight or something else?
1: I don't know. Looking back at it, I can see all this stuff, um, you know, from a clear mind and kind of outside of the box and away from that time of my life. I can see it more clearly than I did when I was in it, how conscious I was during it. I mean, um, you know, from, from age 16 to 23, which is when I made my lifestyle change, there was a lot of drinking. So I don't know how much consciousness (laughs) there really was because there was so much alcohol. Um, But yeah, you know, I don't know. There was a lot of, a lot of that time was just, um, it was like survival mode. You know, it was like, Mm -hmm. what do I have to do to not feel this way about myself? What do I have to do to, um, to put a wall up what do I have to do to get away from this feeling and to like tune out and check out and that wasn't an, I did that in the form of food and alcohol and you know um, uh, tons of uh, you know um, drugs to help with anxiety and depression and stuff it was always um I was I was just yeah it was like it was like chaos survival mode trying to feel trying to do anything that I could think of to get away and to feel better and to tune it out
0: mm. Did did anyone kind of notice and talk to you about it and want to help and intervene?
1: Yeah, um I I did. Um family and friends would say would say things, but where it really took a uh, a turn was after I left my freshman year of college. I didn't end up completing my freshman year. I took medical leave. And that was when I really sunk into the the worst um that was my lowest point. I was severely depressed. I was on um, anxiety and depression medicine. I was having these horrible uh stomach pains. Um, I had my gallbladder removed eventually after meds and meds and nothing was working. Um so I was having these shooting stomach pains, totally, you know, anxiety up the roof. I was totally depressed. Um, I had just gotten out of a really bad relationship and I just was at my, I was eating my life away, drinking my life away, popping pills, you know, every day. And, um, I, I decided that I was going to take my life. I was just, I was just done. I was done with everything. I didn't want to live like I was anymore. It was the same, same stuff every single day. And I was, I was done and I made a plan to, um, I, I I was planning, I was thinking, I was talking. And I was talking to a good friend about kind of where I was at and what I was thinking. And I'm just like making comments like, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, you know, this is it, you know, those kinds of phrases. And she was like, I'm not gonna let her just, you know, say these things without doing something. And so she called another friend of ours and they called uh called the cops and the cops showed up at my house. Mm-hmm. And um I was uh still technically a um a minor at that point. I was nine. I was, think I was, was I 18 and medical in Nebraska was 19. And so, um, they're like, you either going to come willingly with us or we're going to take you. And I'm like, okay. So we went, I spent a week in, um, um, a mental facility after that moment. And, um, so yes, friends did intervene and I'm so glad that they did. And I think that that was, um, it was a wake up call for me at that point. Um, and also for my family, like, whoa, she's, there's, there's more going on than, than the outside is, um, portraying. Mm -hmm. So that was the low point for, you know, the depression and anxiety, um, portion that did improve, um, after that, but it wasn't until years later that I kind of got a little bit back into it, um, before I decided to, to make my lifestyle change when I was 23.
0: Mm. So what happened when you were 23?
1: so I'm 23. So the, all the hospital stuff and, and all that, that was when I was 18 or 19. Um, and you know, got better in that way, but still was eating horrible food, still was partying, still was doing that. I just was felt a little bit better, um, in those ways. But when I was 23, it kind of all, it kind of all, like, the world almost, like, opened up. Like, I, I started to, like, see opportunity. I started to not think of myself as a victim. Um, I knew that I was in control of my lifestyle, and I decided what I ate. I decided to drink. I decided to go to fast food. You know, I'm in control of my decisions, and so that kind of opened up to me, and I almost realized it maybe for the first time that I'm in control of stuff, and I'm not a victim, and so um, I was just so tired of, of other things at this point in my life. I was tired of not being able to breathe when I was walking up the stairs or tying my shoes. I was, you know, tired of eating bags of donuts in the closet by myself and looking in the mirror and not knowing who's looking back at me. Um so the moment that everything changed was my younger brother asked me, we were back home visiting my family and he asked me how my lifestyle and nutrition was going because he knew I'd always struggled with you know my weight and, and working out and eating healthy and stuff like that. And at that point, it was not going well at all. But I made it sound just like I had so many times before, made it sound really awesome, like things are going so great. I have a gym membership, which was true, but I never went. Um, yeah, I've kind of been watching what I was eating, which maybe meant that I had a salad three months ago, right? So I was like saying all of these things, that I had always done before, you know, the talk and the show and all that. Um, but I was like w- listening to myself say at this time and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you're you're making it sound like everything is like so great and you're doing so well and you're not. Like, wake up, you know? And it was kind of that, I did, I kind of woke up that moment and that was the moment and the day that I changed my lifestyle. I started moving forward and I haven't stopped since. Um, And I think it was really important for me to kind of call myself out on my own BS in that moment and make the decision to make a change. Even though I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know how it was going to look. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. um, But I decided that I was going to do it. And that decision um, was so strong, so firm. And I just kept, I just started and kept moving forward.
0: Great. Now you as a, uh, Nebraska girl, growing up on a pig farm, you probably didn't jump right into you know the Furman or Esselstyn protocols, right? Right. What what Mm -hmm. what did you do first?
1: So I didn't even know that they those doctors existed at this point. um, That the whole food plant based lifestyle existed, I I didn't know. Um, So I did what I had always done before in all of these other fad diets, like I had done. All the fad diets, the counting calories, the watching portions, the not eating, the military diet, the Jenny Craig Weight Watchers, like I've done it all. And so I'm like, what am I going to do this time? Because, um, you know, I wasn't sure if these prior diets didn't work because they didn't work and they were fad or because I didn't commit. Like I really wasn't sure kind of how that looked and and what I was going to do. So I cut out what I thought was the obvious type of things that I needed to change. So I, I stopped drinking. I had already stopped smoking at this point. Um, I quit the fast food and the, you know, donuts and um, ice cream and that kind of junky type food. And I increased my fruits and vegetables. Um, kind of I did all that at the same time, reduce that and increase this. I still was doing like lean meats, fat free cheeses, sugar free Chips Ahoy, cookies, you know, things like the fad type stuff, Greek yogurt and turkey. And I was doing all the the, the healthy fad type stuff. And um, about a couple months in, so this would have probably been two or three months in, um, that same brother showed me uh, or introduced me to Dr. Fuhrman uh, via a PBS special, one of his specials on PBS, The Eat to Live. And I'm watching this special on PBS and i bet my jaw is on the floor um, and I just couldn't believe that he was talking about this lifestyle of abundance and variety and, you know, eat to satisfaction and, uh, no deprivation, no restriction. I'm like, what is going on? Because this is the total opposite of anything else that I've ever heard, been taught people talk about, right. Um, cause this diet mentality is one of deprivation and restriction. And that was what I was used to. And so to look at, food and nutrition and a lifestyle change in a different way. I was like, well, I might as well try this. Like I've tried everything else. Um, but it was almost, it was a little bit more than that. It was, it wasn't just, I'm going to try it, uh, because it's new and it sounds good. It was like, I think that I have found what I've been looking for my entire life is Mm -hmm. this lifestyle. And there was just such excitement. It wasn't, it wasn't even nerves or anything. It was excitement of like, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to start. You know, I bought the book, I bought the cookbook. I, you know, overhauled my pantry and stuff and eventually did, uh, cut out indefinitely the, the meat and, um, and cheese and eggs and stuff like that. But it was, I couldn't believe the, I couldn't believe that I hadn't heard of this lifestyle before. How is this not mainstream? Everybody knows public knowledge thing. Like I was I was excited, but I was also, like, kind of mad that this this information isn't, you know, on the news right now. This information isn't being taught to us, um, you know, in school and stuff. And um, so it's, it's a little bit why I do what I do now, and, and of, of course, you too, in sharing this information, right? But um, I just remember feeling like this, uh, you know, both literal and figurative weight being lifted off, like, like I can breathe now, I can live now, I can thrive now, and I don't have to be handcuffed, and i don't have to hide, and I don't have to, you know, count out my points for the day, like I actually get to live now, and that was something that I hadn't felt in 15 years, like since I was little, you know, because I I started dieting probably in fourth grade, you know, so this was so refreshing to me.
0: Mm -hmm. So I'd like to go back to that moment when you sort of realized that you had control
1: mm-hmm.
0: because, you know, I mean, that's one of the things when I'm coaching someone that I know that that's the thing that I have to get them to flip the switch on. Because, yeah. you know, I was coaching someone today who kind of feels like, you know, she is, she doesn't have control over, let's say, you know, her impulse to eat certain foods or her impulse to put other people before herself. Mm-hmm. And, and what, so I want you know highlight that what you did what you did not do was figure out the right thing to do and do it. Mm-hmm. What, right, that wasn't that wasn't the key. That but you you made a an observation and kind of a decision that changed yep. everything. And yeah, is there a way that we can bottle <laughs> that for people, or you can kind of explain what that was like to go from no agency to a hundred percent agency.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting because that's how it's, it's, um, it's a lot of how I coach now too. It's like, we'll deal with the house. We'll figure out the house. Don't worry about the how, but stripping back to the very beginning in making that decision. And I think too, um, for me, it was the, it was the decision, but, but the two key parts for me in that decision was knowing knowing what i wanted like what was the outcome and also why i wanted it again i'll figure out how to do it later but what did i want and why did i want it right because at this point it wasn't just oh i want to lose 20 pounds like this is I want to live. I want to breathe going up the stairs without huffing and puffing. I want to look at myself and love who's looking back at me. That's never happened before. Like I wanted all of these things and I had such deep rooted whys of why I wanted them. And I allowed myself time to dig those up. Right. Um, Because I think so many people that are making a decision to make a change, they're only seeing that surface level stuff. I want to lose weight so I can feel better. Okay. Yes. Why though? Why do you want to lose weight and feel better? So it's digging deep down into, and you'll dig up some stuff that probably isn't very comfortable. Um, but you have to be comfortable comfortable with being uncomfortable so you can get down to, you know, what you really want, why you want this and what, what it is that you really want. So dig past the surface level stuff And give yourself permission to do that and to be vulnerable with yourself and to call yourself out on your own BS. I said that before too. That was really helpful to me. I had to say, you know what? It's okay. Your past, whatever you've dealt with, is okay. Where you're at right now, we have to address where you're at and then move forward. So I had to tell myself, like, look, you have an emotional eating problem. You're addicted to refined sugar. It's okay. We'll figure it out. But we have to address where we're at now. I, this is all to myself, right? We have to address where we're at so that we can get better and, and improve. And so I think it's really allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to dig deep and to figure out what those are. Um, and the hows will come, but that, that beginning part is so, so key. Um, very, very key.
0: Yeah. And just, and and I love what you said about sort of the willingness to look at where you are, Mm -hmm. because, you know, not only is it strategically crucial, so, you know, like if you're lost in the road somewhere and you're unwilling to look at your GPS or look at a map, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to be able to find your way out. But also I find that looking at something that I don't want to look at is actually like weightlifting practice for the soul. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, I've been having some some dodgy financials lately. And so the one thing I don't want to look at is my bank statement, which yep. is, of course. And so, like, I'm finding myself, um, I, you know, I have an app where I get a check and I can deposit the check by the app. And I'm trying to push the deposit button before the account information screen comes up. I'm like, oh, yep. so that's like I think that, well, when I have more money in my account, then I'll look. But I think the truth is much closer to when I have the cojones to look, I will then yes. start building the tools to be responsible with finance.
1: Absolutely. So much of that is, is you can apply that to this lifestyle. Absolutely. I think that there are so many reasons why not to do something, right? I could give you every reason why I didn't make a lifestyle change in the past, right? Finances protein, what are other people going to say? All these things, right? There's an excuse for everything. But if you're going to let that excuse rule you, or if you're going to say, look at it and be like, okay, how can I work around this? Or is this really true? You know, that's a big part of it too. So many people f- see, you know, um, uh, a lifestyle transformation or someone succeeding and they think I can't do that. And that mentality of thinking and telling yourself that you can't do that is going to, is going to be your reality if you continue to keep thinking that, right? Like what we think and what we focus on grows. And so constantly thinking like, oh, I can't do this, or I'm so far behind, or why am I not like that person? Like when we surround our thoughts with that, that's where we end up living every single day, you know? So a lot of it is that perspective shifts of, I can, even though I don't know what I'm doing right now, and even though I'm overweight, and even though I'm addicted to chocolate donuts and ice cream, even though all of these things, right? Addressing where you're at, where you're at's perfectly fine. Um, where do you want to go from there? Like, let's go, you know. And um, so I think it's being your own friend in those moments, enough to um, to say those things to yourself and have those conversations with yourself. And like you said, have the cojones to actually look at realistically what is happening right now, um, and not to critique it. And not to say, look, you're a failure, but to just look at it and go, okay, this is where I'm at. And where do I want to be? What does that look like? And then, and then it's the how do I get there?
0: Right. And um, I'm imagining that there, you know, and I know for myself that there are, there's a fine line between not cursing myself with predictions like, oh, I can't do this, mm-hmm. and, and lying to myself like, oh, I've totally got this, right? That there's some part of me, when I say that out loud, there's like a big klaxon horn BS detector that goes off. So I Mm -hmm. think that's that's why it's so important to figure out some small action to take to begin to prove to myself that I can do something.
1: Absolutely. The action steps are key. And I think that people get, and me, for example, this happened to me so many times, I would get caught up in the end, I'd be like, "Oh, I need to lose 80 pounds and I need to do it in a year." You know? And then the then the pressure's on, right? There's numbers, there's dates, there's all these things, and then you're like, "What do I do now?" Uh and th- there you just get lost in this like, you know, um uh a fictitious uh weight by a certain date, you know, mentality. And the actions, stripping that back, letting go of the number on the scale, letting go of a certain number of pounds by a certain date, letting that just not be a thing and relax and say, what do I have to do right now to what, what decision could I make right now that could move me forward? You know, breaking it down into, yes, weight loss might be a goal and an outcome, but what action steps can you do to get there, right? We can have a a large salad every day, we can refrain from alcohol or, um, you know, refined sugar and things like that. So, um having little action steps like you said too. Um and knowing that you can't to prove to yourself that you can do something. So maybe it's like a little 3-day something. Oh, I'm going to eat a salad for 3 days for lunch, you know? And once you crush that, what next? Maybe a week now or maybe you start to imp- you know, incorporate something else. So I think those baby steps and not not even baby steps, you know, but they they are that and I use this analogy a lot. My, um, my grandma makes these big quilts, right? But she doesn't start with one piece of, well, one huge piece of fabric. She starts with a little piece, a little patch. And then she gets another little patch and then she attaches it to that. And then there's another design and then another color, right? And then eventually she has this huge, large quilt, right? But she had all these little um, little action steps, little patches that together yield a great result. And I think looking at it in that way and knowing that you don't have to do some huge, extravagant, grand thing. You just have to strip back and do some action steps and just put them together and mm. just keep going.
0: I think you've helped me just now uh, refine a coaching methodology that I use because I'm, really, I've, I'm always really big on, okay, what's the goal? Let's, um, let's measure it. Let's quantify it. Let's set a time. Let's set a date so that we know we're moving forward. But what I'm suddenly realizing is if somebody doesn't yet believe they can move in that direction, then that's premature that we have, we Mm -hmm. have to start. It's like, you know, your, your grandmother has probably made enough quilts that now she has a vision. Okay. I'm going to do geese in flight or, Mm -hmm. or I'm going to do log cabin. And she, even though she's taking one step at a time, she has a vision of the end because she's gotten there, but maybe the first quilt she ever made the thing she needed to do was to sew together two pieces of fabric in a straight line.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy the amount, Um. you know, how, how a quilt can using that analogy can have someone be like, Oh, wait a second. Oh yeah. I can do that. Like I can do. And what I found too, in my coaching is that the, the goal is fine have the goal have a long list of goals that's okay um it's great to have things to look forward to but then how do we strip that back and look at it today how do we look at our our end goal and not be there yet and again that's okay but what do i do for my next meal that will help get me there what other patch what's my next patch so to speak right um Maybe it's, I, have, I have 15 minutes free. What can I do in this 15 minutes? I'm going to make a hummus quick and then I'm going to go for a quick walk. Do th- doing things in those kind of um, little action steps, the bite-sized things, so that you can have those little wins. It, it's not one big win at the end. Like it's a, The journey's not the destination. The destination is the journey. And so what are those little bite-sized wins that you can have So that you can build up that confidence that you might have never felt before. You know, speaking from example or for, for myself,
0: your your training montage.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: In the movies, it takes three minutes, right? But in in life, it's the, it's almost the, uh, the entirety.
1: It is. And I think that's one thing that, um, I I stress so much with my clients too, is it's not the destination. We'll get there. You know, the weight loss will come, uh, but the journey is where the work happens. The journey is where the growth happens. The journey is where you, you, know, you look at the journey and you have all of these wins and you have all these successes and they will yield a lot of your end goals. You'll be checking stuff off left and right, um, but if you're only looking at that end, that light at the end of the tunnel, you'll miss all of the stuff you know, and it'll be clouded over, and you'll miss that journey. You'll miss the needed patches. You'll miss the action steps and the bite-sized wins that you need to get there.
0: Yeah, I, w- I was interviewing um, Leslie Patterson yesterday, who's a three-time uh, world champion in off-road triathlon. and awesome. And we were talking about, you know, for us, for us regular mortals, like it's it's okay to say, well, you know, I want to win this race or I want to do really well. But but I'm not going to obsess over the outcome. And I was asking Leslie, does that work at a high stakes event when your sponsorship mm-hmm. is on the line, when it's your career? And she said, well, all I do is focus on the, the process steps. Like, what's my cadence? Um, are my shoulders tense? Um, mm-hmm. You know, like even even and maybe especially at that level focusing on process is how the best people in the world achieve the outcomes that we think we want. Yes.
1: Yeah. And for her, for example, if her shoulders were tense the whole time and she didn't put attention to that small little bite sized detail of the process, she would have had tense shoulders the whole race and might not have gotten to where, you know, the end. Yeah. I love that. I think that it's, it's key. And another thing too, is that, um, You know, speaking of races, it reminds me of another one of my favorite analogies. Um, You're driving to Target because you have some stuff to get, right? Toilet paper, toothpaste, whatever. And then your mom calls and you get distracted, right? And you make a wrong turn. Um, And you're like, oh, dang it. Mom, I got to go. I got to go to Target. Do you hang up? Do you go back home to start over because you took a wrong turn? (laughs) No, you just get back on the track, you get back on the road, and you go because you have things to get at Target. And so I think that, uh, you know, another uh, really key thing of change is not throwing the towel in and starting over. You're here, day one's in the books, like life's going. Like, let's go. Let's keep going. Uh, Similar to a runner. You know, if a runner dropped their baton, would they pick it up and go back to the starting line and then start again? No, the race is like, let's go. You know, we're Mm -hmm. still going. And so not throwing in that towel, not having that starting over mentality, but knowing that it is a journey and that there will be struggles and obstacles and stumbles. We all have them. Um, But I think that it's important not to have that starting over mentality because it society and, and, you know, a pressure makes us feel that we failed, right? Well, I failed. I got to start over. I got to have a clean slate. Um, and the truth is there's going to be struggles and stuff. And so working through them and having that win on the other side of it, um, you know, small wins one after the other is, is really key. So I talk about that a lot. No starting over Don't throw in the towel. It's not day one again. It's day 4,800, whatever. Um, let's keep going. Hmm. Next day, new, new day. Let's continue.
0: Yeah, it's weird because as you said that, I suddenly started thinking about, you know, one of the, the principles of behavioral science that's been sort of refined over the last 20 or 30 years is the idea of the sunk cost fallacy. That, like, you put energy into something, and even though it's not working out for you, you, you feel like you're, you're still in. like Let's say you, mm-hmm. like you, you bought tickets to a concert and now you, know, you don't really wanna go and maybe it's snowing out and you've got something better to do, but you feel like you have to go because you've sunk cost into it. But yet, mm-hmm. we don't do that with all the effort that we've already put into improving ourselves. We, why don't we see that as sunk cost?
1: Yeah, I think it's really hard to look at ourselves For uh, a number of different reasons. Um, It's really hard to, um, you know, to kind of to call yourself out and to look at where you're at and to say like, hey, this didn't work like I thought it would. Right. It's almost like a letting yourself down or feeling let down by yourself is so powerful and so um, emotional sometimes and a lot of pressure that it's almost easier for people to cop out. I don't know if cop out is the right phrase, but to start over and say, you know what? Just pretend this didn't happen. I'm going to start over fresh, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But the growth is when you look at the stumble or the struggle and you go, all right, what did I learn here that I can apply going forward so that this doesn't happen again or that it's a different outcome or something, right? Because... To me, the the word failure doesn't exist. I don't think that people do fail because you either win and succeed at whatever you set out to do, and it was a a success, right? Or you learn and grow from it, which to me is a form of success. So we need to look at a struggle, a failure, an obstacle, a stumble, whatever, and look at it and say, what what did I learn? How can I grow? And how can I better use this going forward? Because if you forget about it and pretend it didn't happen and put the walls up, and start over, you miss that lesson, you miss that, uh, the growth. Um, and so I think it's really important to just power through it and look at it and go, all right. And then just keep going, just keep, pick up the towel and keep going.
0: Yeah. I think that's the key moment because we all have stories of I've tried this, I've tried this. Like I, you know, we all have a story of, well, I'm the sort of person who gives up after a while or I screw Mm -hmm. up. And you know, in your story, like you listed the number of diets that you had done, Mm-hmm. And, you know, you kept the history. You didn't you didn't ignore the facts, but you separated the facts from the, the sort of the meta description of those facts. Like I mm-hmm. was on Weight Watchers. I was on Jenny Craig. I was on the military diet. And what, what was so easy for us to do is then say, I'm a screw up. I keep failing on diets as opposed to, well, that's that's an interpretation that's not, mm-hmm. that's not a fact. So, so it has no place here.
1: Yeah. There's a difference between, um, knowing something is or having something be true or false and then just having a perspective of something. Right. So I use this analogy so many times with food and transitioning into this lifestyle. Um, cause I hear a lot of pushback about, well, I don't like vegetables. Well, I don't like salads. Well, I don't, whatever. And that's okay to not like them right now, but, um, maybe that, perception, that thought that you deem as fact was based on one event that happened 20 years ago, right? You had a really bad salad <laughs> or you had poor quality vegetables or or your mom used to make them in a way that you just didn't agree with you when you were five. And so you've taken that and you're still living that out to be truth when it's really just a perspective from you as a five-year-old. So allowing and giving yourself permission to let go of, of what you've been carrying that might not be true and shift that perspective and say, okay, I didn't like tomatoes when I was five, how my mom prepared them, for example's sake, but maybe I would love raw tomatoes in guacamole, or maybe I would love blended tomatoes in a tomato basil soup, right? And so shifting that perspective to having them in different ways and, and opening up to that um, and not just with food, with anything. Um, you know, you were talking about the diets. That doesn't mean that just because I had lost all, you know, I'd I tried all these diets and none of them worked, doesn't mean that I'm doomed to be overweight, obese, and depressed for the rest of my life. Like one doesn't mean the other, right? They're not mutually exclusive. So, um, I think it's important to yeah to kind of know the difference between is what I think and feel for sure a definite fact. Or is it an old opinion? Is it something society told me was true? Uh, or is it a perspective that I could just shift that would make my lifestyle more easy and more fun?
0: Mm-hmm. So what do you think you're, if, you, if you had a, an identity shift? Because you, know, you sort of went from I am dot 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 before, and then I am dot 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 now. Well, how, how might you complete those two phrases?
1: Ooh, um, before, um, yeah, I would say my, my personality or how I've always kind of viewed myself in the past. Like I, I always, I always did well in school. I always came from a great family, you know, um, parents and siblings and, um, good friends and stuff like that. Um, but myself, I wasn't good with myself. I didn't love myself. I didn't know who I was. And so um, if I were to complete that sentence before, I would say something like I am uh, unsure. I am lost. I am um, walking around with, uh, you know, a plastic wrapped version of what I might be underneath. I didn't know, like I had no clue. And when I started my lifestyle change, and I started to put more focus on me so that I could be a better, you know, wife, sister, friend, coworker, all this stuff. And I put that focus on me. I started to discover who I was. And I also started to create who I was too. Like I didn't like vegetables before, but I'm going to make sure that I love vegetables. And so what does that look like? What do I have to do? And so I could kind of create my own reality in that way too, which was really exciting for me. I didn't know that you could do that. Like I didn't know you could create your own life and that you were in charge. Like I didn't think that I had that control. And once I found that and I was able to like create my, uh, you know, create my own reality, so to speak, it was really, um, it was really refreshing and it kind of opened up and now I know better, you know, who I am and I can create who I want to be and live that out. And so now, um, I am open, I am real, raw, authentic, like call it like it is. Um, and I would say open is, is probably the, the mo the word that sticks out to me most is open because before I had the walls up, before I was closed, before I was carrying around all of those old, uh, thoughts that were maybe my mom's or societies or a magazines or something. And I was carrying around all the stuff that wasn't me. And now I'm figuring out what is me and what feels good and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. So, but you have to be open to that and know that it's going to, it might be a little bit uncomfortable figuring out what you like and what you don't like and how that looks and how you can learn to love vegetables and stuff like that. Because when I, when my mind was no longer over ruled and controlled by, um, unhealthy food and all this stuff. And I had control. I had so much more time to think about stuff like, and I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what my hobbies were because my hobbies before were partying, happy hour, uh, eating in the closet by myself and all of, all food related. So once those were gone, I was like, what do I like to do? What are my hot? Like, who am I? Mm-hmm. And so I had this like open platform, like a f- open field to create it and to design it and to just go and just try some stuff. And being open was something that has helped me so much. Being open and allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to create your life.
0: Was that that ever terrifying to realize everything I thought I knew about myself wasn't real and here I am I don't know who I am I don't know what I like like I could just imagine sort of sitting and I've I've had this I've had this experience Mm -hmm. where you know I went through a uh, a really difficult internal time and I kind of woke up and I was like I don't Mm -hmm. know everything I've ever been doing more or less was to please other people and to get approval and to get by and now I got to take charge did you have like moments of of existential terror around that or
1: was it just exhilarating It was, you know, it, it, to tell you the truth, it really was just exhilarating. The terrifying part was staying stuck where I was. That was the terrifying part. And I think that moment, that was a moment for me too in that 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 moment in my parents' kitchen when my brother said, how's everything going? And I kind of was like, what am I doing? I need to, ch-, you know, it was um, the terrifying part for me was staying stuck where I was. That was terrifying. Mm-hmm. I didn't want any part of that anymore. And so anything that felt, you know, uh, open and refreshed and, um, possibilities and changed perspectives. I'm like, yes, bring it on because that was so not how I lived before. So, to answer your question, no, that it wasn't terrifying to realize that, you know, nutrition is not being taught as it should be, or that, you know, I was going to be uh, going through all these obstacles coming up and, you know, change and being uncomfortable. That wasn't terrifying. It was more terrifying to stay stuck where I was than it was to think about trying tomatoes, (laughs) you know, and, and eating more salads and saying no to fast food and stuff. The terrifying part was staying stuck where I was.
0: So we've we've talked about the fact the details are far less important than this deep stuff, but I think the details are also important. Um, Yeah, you watched um, Doctor Furman on on uh, public television, and Mm -hmm. you had this revelation, and you had a house full of food that wasn't compliant. What did you do? Mm -hmm. Like like the movie of the next thing you did around food?
1: Yeah. Um, the next thing I did after – because I had already kind of taken out some of that stuff, but like I said, the lean meats, the fat-free cheeses, the sugar-free stuff, the baked chips, the low-calorie alcohol, like that stuff was still in the house. And so um, it was like a second clean-around or, or clean um, of of everything, and I just – got out some trash bags. I'm like this, I'd, I'm done. It's, it's over. I'm going to, I'd rather put it in the trash than put it down <laughs> this trash or, you know, uh, my eat it myself. And so, um, my husband, well, we were dating at the time, but he was, he was on board supporting me, but he personally wasn't on board doing any changes, but thankfully he, um, was so, open to having the house be, um, whole food plant-based and clean. And he traveled for work. And so he was, you know, eating outside of the house most of the time anyway. So I cleaned out everything. If it was not conducive to my lifestyle, if it was something that was not optimally helpful by like, I got rid of it. And, um, and that was really, um, it's the word exhilarating, I guess would be a, a refreshing and relieving to not have this, you know, um, disguised as healthy food around me. Um, I could just be fresh. I could be whole. I could, you know, um, control everything that I was making a hundred percent with real whole fresh ingredients. And so I just got the trash bags out and away it went, Mm -hmm. Get get out of the house. Cause if it's not in the house, you can't eat it. Like if it's not there, you can't eat it at home if it's not there. So that was really important to me to get the house clean.
0: Right. And you you're still in Nebraska.
1: We were actually in Chicago at this time. Um, in Chicago suburbs.
0: Okay. And did, did you have a community of people that you could make this change with and support? And
1: no, this was, I talk about this a lot. Um, my community was my eat to live book and Google. Um, because at this point, I mean, this was about five years ago, I don't even know if Facebook groups were really, I don't even know if they existed back then. Like there were pages, I remember following a bunch of pages on Facebook, but there really wasn't the big, um, this community really wasn't that big, you know, five years ago, or I I wasn't able to find, you know, what I needed. So um, I had friends that knew what I was doing. Um, My trainer was familiar with the lifestyle and stuff. So I did have, you know, um, support from others in that way, but not anyone in real life, that was doing the same thing with me. So that was a struggle. Um, but again, it's even more so what I, why I do what I do now, because you don't have to do anything on your own. You shouldn't have to, you know, struggle by yourself and, um, you know, have no one to talk to like that sucks. So, um, I'm just so, uh, so glad now that the, the movement and the, the support is so much greater now of um, you know, people like us and different programs and videos and all that—it's um, really important to success is having that support and guidance and tools and community is huge. Um,
0: so what sorts of things did you start eating when you made, when you made the change? Did you immediately become like a uh, tofu and quinoa person or were you eating things that looked sort of like what you were familiar with?
1: I was open for everything. I didn't really get into like the fake meats or fake cheeses or anything like that. Um, I just made, I did a lot of just whole fresh stuff. I did a lot of veggies, beans, uh, whole grains, fruits, nuts and seeds. And I would make a lot of um, a lot of soups, a lot of stir fry, uh, a lot of smoothies and salads. Like my four S's, soup, salad, stir fry, smoothies were really key meals for me. And, um, I guess the two that come to mind right away, I remember like, um, right after I discovered this whole food plant-based lifestyle through Dr. Furman, and I got the eat to live book and I started making, um, goji berry chili, vegetable chili and black bean brownies. And I remember like waking up in the morning and realizing that I had made those and they were in the fridge, you know, waiting for me and I would get so excited Mm -hmm. that I could up and eat these like delicious foods and you know drop weight and feel better and increase energy and all the other stuff that came with it um, so those two always come to mind goji berry vegetable chili and black bean brownies were like I ate so much of that um, the first few months but yeah a lot of soup salad smoothie and stir-fry I guess were the main my main things
0: mm-hmm. so, um, what about so you didn't have any social support on the on the uh, pro side Mm -hmm. What about the people who had known you and who were hanging, you know, you hung out with and family, were they on board Mm -hmm. or were they skeptical?
1: I think if they, if they were skeptical, it was just because I had like, Oh, here's Bethany again, another diet. Like, let's see how, okay, let's see how this goes, you know? Um, because I had just been on a diet, off a diet, up and weight, down and weight, you know, for my whole life, most of my life that, you know, anyone knew me that was always either on or off or, uh, trying something new, losing weight, gaining it back and stuff. So I think if there was any skepticism in that way, it was just based on what I had shown them in the past of fad diets and all kinds of uh, roller coaster stuff. But, um, you know, when I didn't stop living this lifestyle and when the weight didn't stop falling off and when my energy didn't stop rising, I think people were like, Oh my gosh, what is she doing? Um, and it's so cool to see too. So many of our close friends and family members are living this lifestyle now. Um, just based on, you know, me leading by example and and having not only the results speak for themselves, but I'm just so passionate about sharing this lifestyle because of what it did for me that I just can't help, you know, sharing the, um, the knowledge and the experience and the journey and the how to's and stuff. Um, I might have done a little bit too, I might have been a little bit too excited at first and maybe scared some people off. But, um, you know, it just shows how much passion and and real life, um, real life changing, life saving that this lifestyle can be. So I just keep sharing and keep it positive and show people the how to's and stuff. And it's been cool to kind of see, you know, some friends and family jump on board and have massive success themselves. That's really cool. Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I don't want to let you go without telling the Domino's pizza story. Oh, yeah, Because, because you know, we're we're kind of, con, you know, condensing a, a multi-decade journey into less than an hour. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give the impression that before you didn't know what you're doing and then you saw the light and everything was perfect.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, there were struggles for sure. Um, the story that Howard's talking about is the, uh, Domino's pizza so I'm at home my husband's on a business trip he's out of the house for a couple days and I ordered this Domino's pizza uh extra cheese you know all to myself I paid for it in cash so that nobody saw my credit card statements and it didn't exist um and this was probably I don't know I want to say a year into me making the decision to make a change like quite a while after um probably within that first year and anyway, so I order this Domino's pizza, I pay for it in cash, I smash the whole thing, one sitting, and I hide the evidence in the garage. Um, we had these, like, trash bins, and I buried it, like, I made a decision that I was hiding the evidence of these Domino- this Domino's pizza box and all my greasy napkins and stuff, and... And I didn't tell anyone about that for a long time. I, I hid the evidence and I pretended it didn't exist, which is what I always used to do with fast food. I would go to fast food. I would get all the stuff and then I would stop at a gas station before I got home and throw it away so I didn't have to see it, the wrappers in the car or bring it in the house or have anyone else know. And so it was alarming to me that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing something. I'm doing Something alarming like this is, you know, get a handle on this and address it right now. Um, And I could have easily said, oh, my gosh, I can't do this. Clearly, I'm the same person as I was 10 years ago. I'm hiding evidence. I'm ordering, eating whole pizzas by myself. Like, what am I doing? I could have easily thrown in the towel there and said, I'm just done. Um, And I didn't. You know, I think that there was just something, you know, again, something in me that I was giving myself grace and um uh acceptance for what just happened like it's okay you know we will move forward we will continue um and you know now i tell the story all the time and help you know clients in these same situations because it's it's um it is a journey there are struggles there are obstacles and Having that decision that you're not going to quit no matter what happens, no matter what someone tells you, no matter what a magazine tells you you should look like, no matter your uncle giving you a bad time at Christmas, you're not going to quit. And I I just always told myself that that was the decision that was made and there was no changing that decision. But how I moved forward was totally different than how I had ever moved forward before. So
0: do you think looking back that the Domino's incident was a net negative or a net positive?
1: A uh, net positive for sure, mostly because I'm, you know, now as a coach, I'm able to say, look, a year into my journey, <laughs> I smashed a whole pizza and hid the box. Um, I'm just like you. Like I am human and there there were tons of struggles. And I, I just don't like looking back at things as, you know, having regret or, Um, you know, worrying or wafting in any negative because there's always something that I I either was successful or I learned and I grew from it. And so that story I'm able to use now. I'm able to, you know, at that time I was able to look at it and say, okay, it doesn't matter that you smashed a whole pizza. What are you going to do now going forward? Don't hate yourself, beat yourself up, but where are you going to go from here? And just keep going and know that know that one piece or one whole pizza does not break um break your journey and it doesn't define who you are either
0: right i find that at the the moment no matter where i am or what i've done at the moment that i can say oh that was that was a mistake i'm going to stop now i'm going to turn around and go back in the right direction then Mm -hmm. the whole thing is now a success because, like, you know, we yeah. work with a lot of people in the big change program who've made these big changes. The program can last for up to a year. So people might be eight, nine months in, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. they have a relapse of a behavior that they thought they would never see again. And, yep. and when they work through it, they tell me, they come out on the other side saying, now I don't have to be scared of that anymore.
1: Yeah, I think so many people are so fearful of that failure. It is. I mean, it sucks to have that f- the feeling of, like, you letting yourself down, like I talked about earlier. But having so many of those moments, it does make you stronger. Like, I know it seems like it would make you weaker, failing and failing and failing and failing again. But it doesn't. It makes – as long as you are – like you said, you're addressing it and you're working through it and you're calling it like it is. And you're saying, what can I learn from this? And how am I going to move forward now with this information from this struggle or obstacle? And it just really, it builds you and your mind and your trust with yourself so much to be so much stronger. Um, I talk about a lot, you know, you have to be your own best friend in life. Like you're the person you hang out with the most every day. And so Having the having the word spoken to yourself, just like you would talk to your best friend, your mom, your sister, and having that kind of change of perspective mm-hmm. is is key too. Because I would say horrible things to myself that I would never say to anybody else.
0: Right. It's like it's like your best friend is the class bully who, who's who's around you all the time and just putting you down. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. And so, how can you really feel good if you're telling yourself over and over? that you are a failure, that you suck or that you can't do it. Like you're, you have to build yourself up. And I know it's, it, it is weird and difficult and uncomfortable at first, but hitting those, those obstacles and struggles head on and working with yourself and holding your own hand and say, how are we going to go through this? Like you do have yourself. And I know I talk about a lot, like I was alone on my journey, but I had myself mm-hmm. and I used myself to help me move forward. I know that sounds kind of weird, but picturing it in that way and knowing that you're on this journey with you and you got your own back is kind of comforting and kind of cool and empowering to know that you got this, you know?
0: I love that. I love that. And uh, yeah, it reminds me, you know, my uh, my partner, Josh Lajani talks about, you know, we like, he's like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I made it. I, I formed a team with myself. And he and yep. also tell like people who Are beating themselves up. It it, it generally it feels like a very responsible thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. And he'll say, you know, that's that's actually a cop out. Yep. Right. Because the harder it means you don't you don't have to do the work. Because oh, poor look at me.
1: Yep. Yep. It's harder. Well, I should say it's easier to beat yourself up than it is to. You're right to do the work and to to ask yourself, you know, and to to go through. kind of dissecting that struggle a little bit, um, in order to know what you need to do to move forward. Yeah. That's definitely harder than saying, well, told you, you couldn't do it, you know, and beating yourself up like it is, but the harder, um, that harder journey, that harder choice of, of taking something head on and addressing it is where the growth and the strength and stuff comes from. And it's not always hard sometimes like now, I'll talk to myself and be like, really? You're gonna try to talk yourself into that? Try again. And I make a you know, I make a fun with myself too. I call myself out in that way too, and um, you know, get myself back get my own self back on track in those ways. So it does it's not always, you know, hard and burdensome and uncomfortable. It does get more comfortable. Um it's just different at first, you know, it's not bad or wrong, it's just different.
0: So I love this conversation and your your insights and and your hard-won wisdom and for for other people who are thinking the exact same thing right now where can they follow you find out more about you and maybe work with you
1: absolutely um my everything can be found at my website lovechard.com right, let's and say say, I,
0: say it slower
1: yeah love chard, lovechard l o v e c h a r d like the swiss chard uh leafy green um And uh, I have a public Facebook page that I do a weekly live show every Tuesday on. And working with me um, can happen in one of two ways. I do one-on-one clients as well. And I have a monthly membership site called NutriBabe Nation. Uh, Say say, say
0: that slow again, too.
1: Yeah, NutriBabe Nation.
0: I feel like I'm your marketing coach. Say it slow. Slower. Help them find you. Yep,
1: NutriBabe Nation. NutriBabe Nation yes um, all the information testimonials from current members um, info all of that can be found at nutribabenation.com um and in nutribabe nation is a it's an ongoing monthly community um, membership site platform so there are courses tutorials how to's trainings videos q a's and also a um, a members only support group and it for the you know live interaction type stuff so um, have just over hundred members and monthly members in there. And people are really the, ch- not only are the change that's happening in each individual person, but the community and the support that is being built in this, um, in this group, you know, type setting and, and closed private, um, judgmental place is so cool to see. You know, I think there's a lot of social media can have a negative kind of, um, uh perspect um uh feeling sometimes with trolls and you know judgment and people hiding behind a keyboard and and stuff and um it's really great to have the the safe place of asshole free <laughs> zone um with my members so people are they're 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 changing their own lives and they're helping others in their own journey changed the lives of their fellow members. It's just so great to see. I just love it. That's
0: fantastic. And we, we almost made, we were over an hour before I had to I had to mark this, this episode explicit. So we did pretty good.
1: Oh awesome. <laughs> the
0: one that didn't record was explicit all the way through. So
1: we're yeah we're
0: obviously maturing.
1: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: All right. Well Stephanie Beth, sorry, Bethany.
1: That's all
0: right. I see the, the Bethany Steck in my mouth uh,
1: Oh yeah the, yeah yeah, the yeah. I get that all
0: the time. Um, Bethany Steck out of check I'm so happy to talk to you. I'm so happy that we were able to uh, to get this to work this time. Yes. And yeah. Um, I just I just love when I you know sort of think about like a little bit of a you know that movie It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart where he gets to see mm-hmm. like I could I can sort of see like you made this one decision and you actualized in this world and how many people are being helped have been helped are going to be helped and enriched because of that decision compared to if you had continued to sort of be quiet and small mm-hmm. and hidden.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy that I think I didn't know it at the time, but I think deep down there was something that's like, you are, you're not just doing this for yourself. Like this is going to be, um, uh, not, not only a life changing thing for yourself, but now, you know, I, I help so many others too. Um, I know what it's like to feel like I did before, you know, so many people watching. I know what it feels like to have a lot of, you know, those, the thoughts and feelings and to be obese and emotional eater, like I've been there and now I know what it's like to be on the other side of that. And I can't not help people do that same thing. So I think, you know, at the beginning, deep down, there was something like something bigger than myself pushing me all the time to, to just keep going, just keep going. You have to do this. You need to do this.
0: Right. Like the the, the acorn doesn't really understand oak, but but something inside the acorn does. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, kind of like that. It's so cool. Awesome.
0: Well, Bethany, thank you so much for all you do and for taking the time on the podcast today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Howard, and same to you.
0: Take care. All right, that was inspiring and helpful, don't you think? I hope you got some really useful nuggets that you can use on your journey or... If you know people who could benefit from this conversation, please let them know about it. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support our mission, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And if you really want to support our mission, you can support me on Patreon. Just go to plantyourself.com and look on the right sidebar for the Patreon link. And you can, with an ongoing monthly contribution, help me devote the time every week to bringing you these amazing guests and preparing for the interviews and interviewing them and editing and posting and promoting and all that. And don't forget to check out the show notes for today's episode with links at plantyourself.com slash 263. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 262 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com where you can also sign up for my weekly-ish newsletter, The Big Change Bulldog. In Garden News, we're trying a new experiment uh, inspired and spearheaded by my wife, and it's about geometry. We had long rows, and in between those rows were footpaths. And those footpaths we made wide enough for a wheelbarrow, and we really don't need to bring wheelbarrows in between all these rows. So what we've done is we've changed um, four of the beds and turned them into a series of keyhole beds, which if you can just imagine a square with a very thin entrance leading up to a small circle, just as if it was one of these old fashioned keyholes like a skeleton key would go in and you walk in there. And then from there, you can reach the rest of the bed. So it's an extremely efficient way to use a lot more land when you're gardening rather than having all these neat, tidy, long rows for you know tractors or other implements like that. We've put up um, small fencing around each of the squares uh, for the purpose of kind of turning the garden into a bit of a maze. We've taken off a lot of the big, tall fencing, and so we're vulnerable to deer. And so the theory is that kind of having lots and lots of little fences will make the deer not want to go in and get potentially trapped in there. If you're interested in looking seeing what it looks like, let me know, and I'll uh, grab some photos and, and throw them up on the blog. In running news, this is my first day out of bed in about... A week. I had some sort of cold or flu or something, and I took it real easy. And today in the afternoon, I'm going to go for a jog, and I'm really looking forward to it. And my goal for the next four or five months is to do a lot of sprint work up hills. I want to increase my speed. I want to do some 5Ks and 10Ks and get some PRs there. And then when when that's accomplished, I'll look back to uh, ultra running for the fall. All right, let's cue the sound of the Chora as I thank Will Ridenour for allowing me to use his beautiful song Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace, as the theme music for this show. Check out Willreidenauer.com for more. And of course, thanks to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. This might be a little bit challenging because my throat is still a little bit scratchy. I don't know if I can uh, do them in, uh, in three breaths like I like to, but let's see what, what happens. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy, Black, Amy, Good, Amanda, Havily, Mary, Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa, Cobb, Rachel, Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina, Herr Jenovsky, David, Bizac, the Mysterious, Michelle, XL, Thelden, Victoria Dolan, Manova, Leah, Stoller, Alan, Christensen, Colleen Pectrus, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julian, Roland, Stu Don Sarah Sarah, Dirk, the Circus, Kelly, Cameron, Wayne Petersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet, Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franz, Jeanette, Ben, Gilaser, David, Donahue, Blair, Cyber Dorona Villa, Visa, Gio and Carolyn, Argentati, Jody Friesen, Rupan, Thunderburk, Misha, Rosen, Mike, Laura, Becky, Mysterious, Tracy, Z, Alicia, Lemus, Rebecca. Hughes. Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmestef, Steph, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Allard, Molly Levine, The Levin, Inscrutable, Harry R. Susan Laverty, The Panda, Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch, The Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabine Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble Shell Ruthless, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hurstman, Kate Rosland, Linda Iyat, Julie Lang, Home Head of Gardiza, Susan Wat, Connie Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, LaViva Lael, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Cherry Olakoski, A Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Skamirani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carrell, kevin mccauley elizabeth rothschild kelly miracle baker and jesse cheryl dwyer and jenny hazelton for your generous support of the podcast that's it for today i'll be back later in the week with another episode or two as always be well Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Heatherly, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen David Vizek, the Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colin Peck, Michelle Energy, Zosina, Sarah Durkis, Rimes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Swam Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Assert, David Donahue Blair, Cyber, Toronto Viso, and Carol Rajitati, Jody Friesner with Anthunderberg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva L, of Eva Laella, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Pandavian Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch, The Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Channel Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Home Hedegaard, e. Isa Susan Hainline, Hayline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis... Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Liz Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divitt, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Lori Fanny, Lena Lundquist, Valerie Humble, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamond McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Leinen. Petty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Carson, Deanne Bishop, Bill Briel, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Gun Marie Hagen, Tracy Gullich, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parm Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Avedible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends.